Okay, previously, uh, Helen and I and our family shared some about our ministry in China, and we mentioned that one of our biggest mistakes uh, in working with this minority people that we worked with was we didn't give enough attention to dealing with many of their, uh, many of them, their past sins, their addictions, the wounds that they had, their involvement with the occult and generational sins that, that impacted them. And because of that, we saw a lot of people, their, their Christian walk was a, a roller coaster ride. One week they were up, the next down. One week they said, I have faith. The next week, oh, I don't have any faith. I don't know where it's gone. And, and a number of people fell away from the Lord. Uh, and it was, it was very frustrating. Um, and that's something we've been giving a lot of thought to as, as God allows us in the future, Lord willing, we return. Uh, we are working on some materials and some methods to, to really deal with that so that people can experience the freedom in Christ that he wants to give each of us. Uh, also, we saw that it limited pe- people's growth. Also, sometimes we'd see a lot of erratic behavior or people would lose their temper about something or get really blown out of shape over something small and um, these wounds and this lack of dealing with these issues manifested itself in a lot of different ways. Um, but recently, the Lord's really been speaking to me about the idea that in the same way, many times I believe the church in America and in, in my life personally, I also fail to deal with these issues, that it wasn't just in China among an animus group, that in many of our lives, uh, we've failed to give attention to this area as well, helping people and helping ourselves overcome past sins. And today, I especially want to talk about past wounds that we've had. And I will talk about many of them will be from childhood, but some of these could be a wound that happened last week. Um, So it's not just childhood, but that if we don't deal with these rightly, that it slows our growth. You know, God's desire is that we're conformed to the image of Christ, that we become like Christ. Um, And many times, these can really be barriers that prevent this in our lives. Also, they often cause those people you'll meet that have unresolved pasts, wounds in their past that they aren't even aware of or they haven't dealt with. And many times you'll see unpredictable or erratic behavior. Uh, There's this saying that hurt people hurt people. They're hurt, and because of these hurts, many times they're not even aware of them, they end up hurting a lot of other people because of these issues. And so I want to talk about today, you know, how do we repair our past so that we can have a, a, a successful future and a more uh, God-honoring future. And I believe one of the big issues is that too often we're not aware of the tactics that Satan uses. I know uh, recently Paul did a series in Corinthians. And if you remember in 1 Corinthians, there was a case he said, you even have someone in your midst that... Uh, is having relations, sexual relations with his father's wife, okay? And he said, you should put, put him out of the church, but you haven't. Then in 2 Corinthians, uh, many people believe in this passage, he's talking about that same person and that same incident. And listen what he says. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, 
What I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. And here he has this phrase, we are not ignorant of Satan's designs. Other translations say, we're not ignorant of Satan's plans, of his tactics, of his strategies. So Paul wants them to be aware of Satan's tactics. Satan has tactics, strategies that he use, uses to wound and hurt and destroy people. And in this case, it's over the issue of forgiveness. Apparently, this man who had been involved in this very serious sexual sin had repented. And yet, they were not forgiving him. And Paul's saying, no, please forgive him or you're going to overwhelm him with excessive sorrow. You're going to harm him. Your failure to forgive is going to harm him, but also you're going to harm yourself. If you have a bitter spirit and you're not willing to forgive him, that's going to harm you as well. And he points out, or infers here, that that's one of Satan's schemes, is to keep people from forgiving others. And that a, a would be a whole other message in itself, but I think that is something I would challenge all of you to consider. Whenever I think of this issue of forgiveness, I think back to many churches, they say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Um, Jesus said it was just a model for teaching us how to pray. pray. But if you remember, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. All right, many times we say that over and over and have no idea what we're saying. What we're saying there is, Lord... The way that I forgive other people, I want you to forgive me that same way. So if I don't forgive other people, Lord, don't forgive me. Can you believe that's what a prayer that you've prayed? Lord, if I don't forgive other people, don't forgive me. That's what we're saying, and that's what Jesus taught us to pray. So this is a really important matter, this one of forgiveness. And if it's not clear enough, look at the, well, Paul, we're going to be coming up. It's in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Now I'll let him deal with this interesting passage. Very interesting. God's not going to forgive us if we don't forgive others. I'll just leave it at, wow, that is a very serious, serious issue. And some people say, well, does it really mean that? And, and it's as if Jesus knew people were going to say that because at the end of the passage he says, now, if you forgive the man who sins against you, God will forgive your sins. And if you don't forgive the one who sins against you, God will not forgive your sins. So he says it again as clear as, as, a, as a bell. So it's a very sobering thought. But that is one of Satan's schemes, is he can wreak havoc in our lives if we are unwilling to forgive somebody else. So I would challenge you even now, is there anybody that you have not forgiven? If so, you should be shaking in your boots because that's a serious issue. That's a way that Satan gets influence in our life and stirs up trouble in our life. There, maybe there's bitterness over something. So I challenge you to think about that. And if there is somebody that you have not forgiven uh, and maybe you're not able to forgive them, sometimes we need help. But let me encourage you to, to go to a respected brother and sister and say, you know, there's somebody I haven't forgiven. I, I need help to figure out how to forgive them. So we must be aware of Satan's tactics. 
Another thing, we need to realize what does the scriptures say about Satan? Many times in our world today, um, people make fun of Christians who talk about, say the word Satan or the devil. Oh, you believe in a devil. They mock us, you know. It's not popular to believe that there's a, a spiritual enemy. But the scripture is very clear about it. And look what it says. I've put these in the bulletin because we're going to go through them very quickly. But I encourage you to, to go back and look at these different verses more closely when you have time. Bible says he is a destroyer. He's called the name Beelzebub in several places, which translated means Lord of the flies, the Lord of dung, the dung god. How would you like that god to be your adversary, your enemy? Well, he is. That's his name. The dung god is your enemy. All right? In John 8.44, it says, When he, speaking of Satan, lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. It's his nature. Just as you hear stories about people that uh, raise wild animals, maybe they raise a tiger cub, and then one day it, it bites them and kills them. And people say, well, what were you thinking? It's a lion. That's what lions do. It's their nature. Okay? All that, you can do all this training, but they're always still going to be a lion with that nature. That's Satan. This is his nature. In 1 Kings, it says he's the lying spirit. Revelation 12 says he's the accuser of the brothers, of the brethren. Have you ever had something happen where maybe you, you sinned or you boot? You got angry and said something to your spouse or to somebody else, and afterwards you were like, oh, I can't believe I did that. And you hear this little voice says, look at you. You, Wade, you, you call yourself a Christian? Oh, oh, you even call yourself a missionary, and look at that. You just spoke to that person like that with no love and was so angry. Who are you kidding? You're not. God cannot love you when you act like that. You ever hear a voice like that accusing you? Oh, you're a horrible Christian. Look at what you just did. Okay? That's Satan. Many times that's Satan. God doesn't, rarely has that tone. When God wants to correct it, he does it as a gentle father because he's so filled with love for us. But Satan, he accuses us to try to discourage us and get us down. I remember one time, my first time in China, I'd been there about four months, and I hadn't learned hardly any language, and I was going to this place where I always parked my bike. You had to pay, it was 12 cents to get a ticket to park your bike there, and I parked it. And uh, No, it was, it was six cents. And this day, the guy charged me 12, and I knew that wasn't right. And, and I kind of watched, and I saw somebody else, and when they came to the line, he, I couldn't understand what he said, but I figured out he's saying, just give me six cents now, and when I, when, uh, or give me 12 cents now, and when you come back, I'll give you six cents back. I knew he was just cheating me, and I got so upset. And I, all of a sudden, I stood up, and I said, hey, everybody, look at this guy. He is charging me 12 cents for this thing, and it's only six, isn't it? You know it's six, don't you? And over there, six cents, it's not 12 cents. I just, I lost it. I mean, I just totally lost it. And then finally I realized, oh, wow, I am creating a scene. What is going on? I, I went into the store, and I came out later, and, I, and I, knew, I was right. Turned out I was right. But I was going home, and I was still so worked up about it. And all of a sudden, I started getting attacked. I started hearing this voice. What are you doing in China as a missionary? Look, at you just lost your top. You yelled at that guy. Over what? How much was it? 
Six cents? You were creating a scene over six cents? But really, I began to get really discouraged. And I was like riding my bike. I remember saying, yeah, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Trying to take the good news to other people? And that's the kind of life I'm living? I started getting really discouraged. And I thank the Lord I realized it. And then I began, we're going to talk about this later, I began to preach to myself. I began remembering what my identity in Christ was. And I began to say, oh, but Satan, my identity is in Jesus Christ. And I am righteous in him. I am his child. I am dearly loved. Yes, I am a sinner, but through his righteousness, he's made me a sinner. I just began talking to my soul to convince it that that was a lie, that he was accusing me. And that's very important that we do that, that we preach the gospel to others, but it's very important we preach it to ourselves constantly because we're constantly being accused and attacked. And then our verse that we just read, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. What's his goal? To hurt people, to harm them? No, it's to devour people, to devour them. He is a destroyer by nature. That's what he wants to do. That and accuse people and destroy them. And he prowls around. Okay, this is a beautiful picture of how wily and conniving our enemy is. He's prowling around and roaring. The lion roars to cause the, its prey to freeze so that it can pounce on it. That's the kind of enemy we face. And Luke 4.13, this is a fascinating passage. This is right after Jesus has been tempted in the wilderness. And it says, And when the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him, Jesus, until an opportune time. So Satan then left Jesus and waited till when? He waited for just the right opportunity to attack again. And we see he's opportunistic. He doesn't attack us when everything's going right, we've had a great quiet time and a good night's rest. No, it's the morning where our kids... Got up several times in the night, we didn't get hardly any sleep, and we're grumpy, and we're tired, and we didn't have our quiet time. Isn't that often when Satan attacks? Yeah, often he's opportunistic. He is calculating. When is the best, most strategic time to, that I can cause the most harm in your life, in my life? He's a tempter. He's tempting. He's always trying to get us to sin. He's wicked. He's the ruler of the darkness of this world. He's a murderer. We need to remember that's the kind of enemy that we're against, that our life, we're involved in a serious spiritual battle. And many things about our culture, we want to just think of it as a, as a journey. And it is a journey, but also the scripture is very clear that we're involved in a battle. And our children are, are in this battle too. And it's, I think as we talk about this idea too, that this is Satan's nature, I think that's part of why he, he just is against everything God's trying to do. So he, he, even if a person's not a Christian, Satan wants to, to bring accusations. He wants to cause harm. He wants to destroy them because that's who he is by nature. How does Satan wound people? Well, primarily one of his, is through our minds by getting us to believe lies instead of believing God's truth. And then I like to think of it in terms of two ways. One, and 
actually, we talked about this at the retreat several years ago, this idea that Satan likes to try to write lies on our heart. Okay? I think in some cases it would be better to say he, likes, he prefers to tattoo lies on our hearts. Now, you know, if you get a tattoo these days, there is a way to get rid of tattoos, isn't there? They take a laser, and they're able to get it just the right depth under your skin to where the ink is, and it gets it really hot, and it kind of dissolves it. They say it's very, very painful, but it can get rid of that tattoo. It's not easy. Well, sometimes I think they're written on there. Sometimes they're tattooed on there. The ones that are their, their heart, it, through Christ, praise the Lord, they can be removed from our life. Sometimes it's a painful process. Other times it, can, it happens very quickly. Another, uh, I was reading a book by John Eldridge, um, who with Brent Curtis wrote the book Wild at Heart. They wrote, uh, he wrote another one called Sacred Romance. And in it, he talked about this idea that Satan often shoots arrows in our heart. And he, he gave examples of that, and I'm going to give some examples. But it would cause things to happen that would just be very traumatic. I mean, as traumatic as if someone had an arrow, a compound bow, and they took it and let go and thunk, right in your heart. <laughs> Can you imagine how traumatic that would be to look down and see this arrow right in your heart and how to get rid of that? Yeah, it's not an easy thing. And even recently, I was reminded... Um, had a friend that used to go bow hunting for deer. And I'd, I'd um, done archery before and always used the practice target arrows. And they just have a little pointy tip on the end. And I'd never seen it before. He brought out an arrow that he used for shooting deer and had four razor blades that were twisted around like this, uh, each of them with extremely sharp edge on the tip of this arrow. He said, this is what I use to shoot the deer because it does the most damage. It will kill them. And I think that would be what Satan would use. He wants to use an arrow that's going to cause damage. He's a destroyer. So this is what he likes to do. Through our thoughts, he controls our heart and our action. Okay, and he writes these tattoos. How does he wound people? Recently, Helen and I were at a training in this whole area about woundings in our life. And there was a guy that had a lot of experience. And he said his experience was that 80% of the wounds in people's lives happen between ages of 10 and 14. And that's why in the future, we're, we're, Paul asked if I'd take uh, some time in the future to talk about this issue. How do we help our kids deal with these issues of Satan wanting to wound them and harm them and destroy them? Um, that's a very important issue. And, and we're going to get to that someday. But I think this is important to look at. But to remember, he can, yesterday... Or last week, he can use those wounds in our lives as well. And once, he wants to use anything he can to destroy and to harm us. One of the first times this became very real to me was several years ago, I was traveling on a team of, of four people, two guys and two girls. We had traveled to different collegiate campuses and talked to them about God's heart for the world. And all four of the, us that were on the team had served two year, one or two years overseas. And there was one gal on this team that had just spent two years in Afghanistan. And it was a time as a missionary, a female missionary in Afghanistan. So very difficult place at a very difficult time, uh, very dangerous. And yet she had, she had thrived. She was just a really neat gal. 
But as we do our presentations, sometimes or afterwards we would have let students sign up to have a counseling appointment with us. Uh, and I noticed that sometime if nobody signed up to see her or if our presentation didn't go as well or if, if her part of it didn't go so well that she just seemed to get edgy and um, I just noticed she wasn't her normal self. And one day she opened up to me about this because I said something. I said, are you doing okay? She said, she said, well, you know, years ago when I was a teenager, my relationship with my dad wasn't very good. And one day he said to me, he said, Dana, everything you do, everything you touch turns to garbage. This was her dad, and he didn't use a word as kind as garbage. He said, everything you touch turns to garbage. It took him about two seconds to say those words, but those words changed her life. She had been on a trajectory trying to please God in everything she did. Suddenly she said, the goal of my life began to prove my dad wrong to prove those words wrong. And she said, but I would try to do things as good as I could, but if ever things started to unravel or not go so well, I would hear this voice saying to me, see, everything you do turns to garbage. Two seconds for her dad to say those words, but it was a wound that she had been dealing with for years. You know, we have this saying, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Is that the most ridiculous saying there ever was? Yes, words can destroy us. What does the scripture say about this? Look, listen to what James says. We put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, and we can turn the whole animal or take ships. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole person's course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This was a, a perfect illustration of that point. The tongue is small, but it is powerful and destructive. The tongue is a fire. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire. In this case, my friend Dana, her life was set on fire by these words of her dad. They were words of deadly poison that set the course of her life on fire. So one, we need to be careful of our words, but we need to realize that the words of others are very powerful. Our words are powerful. If we say something to somebody that hurts them, we need to go back and make that right. And if somebody has said something unfair to us or hurtful to us, we need to make sure that we deal with that because the tongue is full of deadly poison. We're going to listen to a song now. This is a song by Randy Stonehill that I just love this song um, for the story that it tells about a girl named Rachel Delavorius. As you listen to the song, listen, what, in what ways do we see people wounded in this song? And what might be the lies that Satan tries to put on their hearts? 
So listen to this song with me. Rachel Delivorias. <laughs> oh. Rachel Delivorias. With her thick eyeglasses and her changing face. Sat beside me in my fifth grade class. Looking so terribly out of place. Rachel played the violin. Her classical music was out of sight. She couldn't control all her wild brown hair, her nervous laughter, and her awkward smile. And it was clear that she'd never be one of us. With her dowdy chords and her violin and a name like Rachel Bellamy. that a poignant song of how our wounds can really affect our lives. So here, she was wounded by one voice saying she was ugly, but certainly she got this idea that she didn't fit in. That was communicated to her. Maybe the lies that Satan tried to put on her heart were, you're not lovable, you don't belong, no one loves you. 
you don't fit in. And it's interesting, in the end, she has success, right? What if she was a, a believer? Some might say, wow, she's just really bringing so much glory to God through her music. She's become successful. But in fact, her success, very likely, the motivation of it sprang out of trying to prove those accusations in her ear wrong. Very likely, her success wasn't just trying to please God. It was her coping method. She said every year, the hedge grew higher. She used her music to try to express some of those hurts, but she separated herself from, from, from others. Also, you think about the song, maybe there was hurt in the boys. Randy Stonehill, the author, maybe is in his life as he looks back. He's been accused by Satan. Look how you treated that girl. Look at the damage you did to her through your actions. So it shows this idea that Satan is wanting to destroy us. As we think about this song, it's specifically about kids. And we talked about this. You know, how do we bring healing to our kids' wounds? And we're focusing on us today because we first need to learn how to heal the wounds in our hearts. And I want to talk about the specifics of that. Actually, before that, I want to share a little bit different story, and that's, that's mine. I had an interesting situation. I was the fifth child in our family, and I was the youngest. So my last two years of high school, I was the only one at home. Every dinner at 6 o'clock, our family sat down to eat. I would be here, and my dad was at the head of the table, and my mother sat right here. And it seemed like every night my dad would stop at some point and look right across the table at me and say, Wade, I believe you can be whatever you want to be. If you want to be president of the United States, I believe you could be president of the United States. Wow, isn't that just the dream that every child wants to hear from their dad? Isn't that an incredible blessing to hear that from your father? Well, it should have been. But... In the years after that, I found that any time I felt a pressure that I needed to be the best at something. And if I wasn't, if there was 10 people uh, in something and I got third, I would hear this voice and say, oh, you're in a mathematics class and you got third. But your dad said, you can do anything you put your mind to. You can be president. You have the potential to be president, but you can't even get first in this class of 10 people. What's wrong with you? You're defective. You're not good enough. Okay, see how even good things, Satan is wily, and he tries to take it and use it against us. And for a long time, I dealt with it. I didn't have any clarity. I didn't realize that, that, that Satan was attacking me in that way. Then finally, I was able to see one day, uh, God showed me that, yes, that's a way that Satan is trying to attack you and accuse you and get you discouraged. And I went through this process of healing that I want to talk about. I want to look at six steps. Now, um, there's nothing magical about these six steps. I'd like to think of them as, as principles. But I think they're very helpful. And the first one is we need to identify our wounds. For me, I went many years, I had no clue that I had this wounding. And I think one of the great ways to do this is taking time just to sit and ask God, God, where have I been wounded that I haven't repaired that hurt, haven't been healed from it. And uh, even as we have the crossway time, 
you know, every year to, to get alone with God. That may be a time to take maybe a half hour or an hour of that time to ask God and just wait for him to speak to you. Ask him, Lord, show me where I have wounds that aren't healed that are affecting my life. Also to ask close friends, people that you've worked with that have seen you, have seen you act weird sometimes or respond, you know, have uh, erratically. Uh, maybe they have insight that, to a blind spot that you may have. Certainly your spouse, um, if you're part of an accountability group, the people, the men in that or the women in that, those are great places to begin exploring this idea because we want to get rid of these. We want to have healing from them so that we can continue to progress. We're never going to be perfect. There's going to be other issues in our lives, but often these are significant issues that are major blockages in our growth in Christ. So we want to identify the wound. Then through Christ's strength, we need to reopen the wound. This is painful. It reminds me of uh, my brother once. Um, he lived, uh, worked in Egypt for a while as a missionary. One time they were on vacation, and they were in these carts at the beach that were horse-drawn. And another one came up beside them, and for some reason there was something on the wheel of the other one, and it came, and it made a big cut in his daughter's arm. She was about five years old at the time. And so they had to rush her to the doctor and um, get a, lot, a number of stitches for it. But he said one of the hardest things was when they got there, they had to open up the wound again and clean it out with a very painful solution. And his daughter was just wailing uncontrollably and yelling and screaming and saying, Daddy, don't let them hurt me. And he said he was holding her like this, and he had tears just streaming down his, his face. But he knew that it would never heal right if they didn't get the dirt out. And as painful as it was, she needed to go through that. And so it did heal up well. And in the same way, many times these hurts, to sit down and talk about them is painful. But it's necessary to, to open it up and relive and tell what happened and how you felt uh, to somebody so that they can help you get insight. So you open the wound, and then this idea... We need to let Jesus shine his righteous light into the wound. Now, that's kind of a funny saying, but um, uh, we've seen amazing things. When, and these two questions I've seen be very helpful. Um, I, don't, I don't think it's a gimmick. It's basically you're, asking, you're inviting Jesus into your problems. That's a biblical thing, isn't it? One of the questions is, uh, God, where were you when the wounding took place? I had a friend that... She, a colleague in China, um, another missionary, she was Chinese-American. When she was younger, her father had left the family. She was left in charge of four of the kids. And one time, her mother had gone out, leaving her to take care of these three kids under the age of four. And the baby was about one year old and started crying. And so she took the baby and couldn't get it to stop crying, so she lit a match to try to get his attention. And then thought she blew it out and threw it out, but when she did, it landed on the mosquito netting and caught the bed on fire, and they were living in a school, and they, it ended up burning down about a tenth of the school. And when her mom came back and found out about it, her mom yelled at her and then kicked her. She said, kicked me like a dog. And so now she's telling this story. She's 45 years old, and it's as if it happened yesterday. And... We were there, a group of us, and talked her through, and the counselor asked, well, let's stop and ask God where he was when that happened. 
And she stopped, and after a long pause, she said, you know, God just told me that he showed me that he was right there, and he kept, he kept the fire from injuring me or my brothers and sisters. He enabled us all to get out safely and only a small part of the school to burn down. And she'd never asked that question before, where God was, and she had a big smile. She realized, oh, yeah, God was there. He didn't, this voice in her head had told her that God had deserted her. Then later they asked, let's just ask, what does Jesus want to say to you about this? And we were all really anticipating, well, yeah, what does God want to say? And she's, after of silence, she said, you know, God just gave me the picture of, what was it, Daniel, Shadrach, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace where there was a fourth person that we know was God or the angel of God, that God was in the furnace with them. She, God gave her that vision. And again, her, she just began to smile. She had tears of joy. She said, oh, God is wanting to show me. He didn't desert me during that time. He was right there with me. But interestingly, many times we, we, don't, we skip this step. We're having a problem in our life. And we fail to ask God, God, where were you when that happened? We just stopped talking to God. Or, or we never ask him, God, what were you doing? What do you want to say to me about that? And I think it's very, pers- uh, it's very helpful many times to, to do this with another person or a couple of people or your spouse or close friend. You know, have them ask, well, why don't you just take a moment and ask Jesus, where was he when, when that, what you call a tragedy happened? It's amazing the things uh, that people learn. It totally changes their view of God and of that difficult circumstance they went through. So I'd encourage you, use these questions or a question like this. Invite Jesus into whatever wounding you had or your friend. I believe God's going to use all of you to help others that have serious woundings like this. And you're going to give them, help them bring freedom that Christ wants freedom in all of our lives. I believe he will use you uh, through this process or something like it to, to do that. Then nextly, we need to clean the wound, okay? Just like the example of my brother and his daughter. Before you can sew it back up, you've got to get the dirt out. In the case of this colleague whose mother kicked her, she said, yeah, my mom kicked me like a dog. So for, this had been more than 40 years she had felt like her mom treated her like a dog. That bitterness had gone in there. And so they asked her, are, are you willing to forgive your mom? And talked about what that meant, that it meant not, no longer holding it against her. And she said, yes, I'm, I'm willing to do that. I know that my mom did love me, but she didn't know how to react in that situation. Uh, yes, I, love, I know my mom loved me, and she tried her best, and she messed up that day. So she did. And then they asked her, well, have you been guilty of any sins related to that event? Or were you sinful in in any of the ways that you responded to that horrible event, that horrible thing your mom did? And she said, oh, yes, I I should have gone to my mom and tried to make it right. I shouldn't have been so bitter toward my mom. I shouldn't have responded that way and hating my mom. I know that was wrong. So they asked her to, well, why don't you confess that to God? Tell him that. And, and so she did. And actually, it was after she forgave her mom and asked forgiveness for her response to her mom 
that, then all of a sudden her face again brightened and she said, yeah, you know, I know my mom loves me. She really loves me and has helped me so many ways. But that one event, I could just never get it out of my mind and I was always bitter toward her because of that. So their freedom happened in a very short period of time. Sometimes it takes much longer, but sometimes it's a matter of, of doing that, forgiving and asking forgiveness how we've responded wrongly to hurts in our lives. So identifying the wound, opening it, reopening, talking about what happened, expressing it to somebody, even though it's painful, then inviting Jesus in to shine his light, asking him, where was he? What does he want to say about it? And then forgiving the offender and asking forgiveness for our wrong response. Then closing with a simple prayer of, of uh, thanksgiving or closing it in prayer, just bringing it all before God. And then lastly, this idea of protecting the wound over time so it can heal. I, I kind of talk about this as follow-up. I don't want to make this sound like, oh, just there's these two questions. You just got to ask them, and their whole life will be better. Okay? Well, sometimes there's just amazing healing that happens through a couple simple questions by, for the first time, in many cases, asking Jesus. I've seen that in my own life. I'm like, I'll be dealing with something that's happened to me, and how should I deal with this? And I'm thinking about it all the time, and I, somebody's hurt me or said something. I'm angry about it, and I talk to Helen about it, and I talk to somebody else about it. And then I realize, you know, I really haven't talked to God about this. Maybe I told him I was upset about it, but I never stopped and said, God, do you want to say anything about this? It's crazy, but often we leave God out of these things. It's the craziest thing why we do that, but we do. But then we, so after we've had some healing, we've cleaned the wound and closed it. Uh, many times it's a process. Uh, the Bible talks about, uh, Paul often talked about putting off this sin and then replacing it, putting on something else. And in many cases, we need to learn new ways. We're, we're used to our thought pattern of being bitter toward our mom. And now we realize, oh, I've forgiven her. I need to new, learn a new way to say, no, I've made the decision, I'm not going to hold that against her anymore. Uh, that was in the past. It's forgiven. Um, and our relationship is good now. I need to learn to live out of that. Or um, this idea you're attacked, Satan brings it up. Oh, look at that sin you did. And, and you, you want to minister to other people? You're, you want to tell the gospel to other people, the good news of Christ? And when you were a Christian, you made that kind of sin? You think God's, gonna, you, God's not going to use you when you have that kind of sin in your background? You did that sin when you were a Christian. You think God's going to use you? Okay, we have these lies like that. We need to, to learn to overcome them. One of the ways is, as I mentioned already, this preaching the truth to ourselves. Okay? Um, and also, for me, it's been helpful to to sometimes write out the truths related to the lie that's on my heart that speak directly to that. And I think this is really important. I want to show... Um, okay, so these are the lies. Why don't you even look on here and say, oh, are any of these that I have sometimes? Accusations. I'm alone. I'm unimportant. I'm not respected. I'm a disappointment. I don't have what it takes. I'm not good enough. In the future, we're going to talk about marriage. I've been thinking about this one recently. I'm not respected. I'm not sacrificially loved or unconditionally loved. You know, the Bible says 
wives are to respect their husbands. Husbands are to sacrificially love their wives. I believe this is often one of the things men and women most deal with because I think Satan goes right for the jugular here. Men need to be respected. Women need to be sacrificially loved. And so he's he will try to speak those lies. Oh, Wade, you're, you're not respected. Look, your wife just complained about you not doing that right. She doesn't respect you. You're not worthy of respect. You're a screw-up. Right? He tries to attack us right here. And the wife, she brings up, she, she, the husband does something, oh, forgets to pick up the groceries like, she, like he was asked to do. Oh, he doesn't care about me. He's just all busy in his own life, whatever. We get attacked at this area. I think that that's not by chance. It's Satan's design. He knows what women, men and women need, and he goes for it. Okay? So for me, uh, this was a, a prayer that I developed, part of this, where I felt like I always had to be the best at something. So I, I wrote this out, and I began praying through it, and it was very helpful. I said, Jesus, though my sins are as scarlet, you've made them white as snow, and you've imparted to me the righteousness of Christ. I stand before you now righteous because of Christ's sacrifice for me. Thank you there is nothing I can do to make you love me more. Thank you that I don't have to be the best at anything. You merely want me to walk with you and learn to abide in you. You're pleased as I share life with you and rely upon you as I live each day. Thank you that I'm your son, that I'm dearly loved. Thank you that you call me not just your servant but your friend. Thank you that your word says you rejoice over me with gladness. You quiet me with your love. You exalt over me with loud singing. So I would read that prayer out loud in the morning. I tried to do it at night. And as I did that, just speaking truth to my soul, and it would encourage me so much, erasing that lie that I had to be the best, that I was defective if I wasn't the best, and putting God's truth on my heart. And we all have lies that Satan's trying to write there. We need to use the word of God to erase it and put, it in, and put God's truth there. And, and we, need the, we need prayers like this. We need the help of others also. That's why I really encourage people, if they're part of an accountability group, the men's group or a women's group, that's a perfect place to be doing it, to share with the men. You know, guys, I, one lie that's been in my life that I'm really trying to erase and replace with God's truth is that I, I have to be... I have to do everything great, or I have to be the best at something. And if I'm not, then I'm defective. Uh, and it plays itself out in my life this way. And will you guys help me as I begin trying to work through this and keep me accountable that I'll be uh, praying this prayer and memorizing scripture. And if you see me do acting out where you can tell it's related to that lie, would you bring it up with me? Will you ask me how that's going? You know, to have people that are trustworthy that we can count on to be praying for us and helping. It's the perfect place to really get healing with this, to bring it up with our spouse and a close friend as well. Um, they can, God will really use that in our lives to help, or can use it to, to bring healing. And it's related to this issue of our identity in Christ. That's really the key. That we need to, re when these lies come, we need to remember who we are. And I've lifted this, listed this website here. It has several more pages of these. I've picked out some that just really speak to me, uh, and I like to use and read over them. Some people will memorize this list, and they'll just go through it whenever they feel attacked and say, I am a new creation in Christ. I am a saint. 
I am a child of God, and I am free from condemnation. Maybe they're feeling right now Satan's attacking them. Oh, God's never going to use you. Look at the sins in your life, the sins you did when you were a Christian. Oh, you're useless to God. No, he's not. Satan, I want to tell you, the word of God says I am free from condemnation, and I am free because Jesus has set me free. And I have been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and without blame before him. I have the righteousness of Christ. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I am God's workmanship. I am holy and dearly loved. I am a friend of Jesus. I am chosen by God. Christ lives in me. I'd encourage you to go to this website and look at these scriptures that you would take them out and preach it to yourself when you are being accused, when Satan is trying to destroy you. He's trying to get to our minds and get us to believe lies. But we need to counter with the truth and getting the truth in our mind and getting it in our heart. And we need to allow others to to help us with that. Sometimes it will happen very quickly. Other issues, um, it's a process. It takes time to replace these old habits with new habits, new ways of thinking. But God wants to set us free. But we need to realize the enemy that we're going against. Satan is trying to devour and destroy and to harm us and our families and our kids. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We are victors. We're going against a formidable foe, but he has already been defeated and one day will be destroyed. So we have the victory. And that's the good news. God will give us the victory, but we need to apply the gospel. We need to apply what Christ has done for us to our lives. Don't continue to live letting these wounds from your past impact your daily life, impact your marriage, impact the way you live, impact the way you deal with your kids, impact the way you deal with others. Okay? God wants to set us all free, and he wants to use the community together to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you came to set us free. And Lord, thank you that you know man, you know men, you know women. Uh, You know the the temptations we succumb to, you know our sins, and yet you love us so much. And you never leave us or forsake us. Even when we sin, your heart is to woo us back to you to convict us of the sin so we'll confess it so you can forgive it. You want us to live in truth. You want us to live a life of freedom and of wholeness, becoming more and more like Christ. But I pray you just help us all to, to identify wounds in our lives and to get help from others uh, so that we can have healing and the freedom that you desire in our life. Lord, we know it, it comes from you and we give you thanks that you have provided a way for us to be free and to be whole and become more and more like Christ. It's nothing we can do on our own, Lord. It's because of you and your power and your death for our sins to give us salvation and freedom. Lord, we just praise you and love you. We want to please you with our lives and become more and more like Jesus. To this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.